0: From the hallowed hallways of Shedd High School, from WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. I know mom and dad won't let you stay up past 8 or 9 or even 10. Now, why do you suppose that is? Maybe there's something that goes on at midnight that they don't want you to know about. So I suggest you take the radio under the covers, and we'll study the midnight phenomenon by listening to music about midnight. Maybe we'll get some clues about the adult world hidden from us kids. Yes, Round the World is bringing you a midnight party. Since you're not supposed to be awake at midnight itself... Stuart Allen will get the Midnight Ball rolling, assisted by the Richard Himber Orchestra from 1936. Here is Midnight Blue.
1: the color scheme when I met you, and soon this heart of mine was beating like thunder under the midnight blue. Midnight blue, you painted shadows on our rendezvous, I couldn't speak as I beheld you in wonder under the midnight blue. of red and like a crown upon your head, stars were strung. Far away the music played, I heard a sweetheart serenade being sung. Love was young, midnight blue, and then I found myself caressing you. I found my heaven in the spell I was under, under the midnight blue.
0: Welcome back to our Midnight Party. We're going to learn as much as we can about what happens at midnight, since we're supposed to be asleep by 10 p.m. We'll scrutinize songs about midnight for implicit clues about adult hidden lore. We just heard a 1936 Midnight Blue, Stuart Allen with the Richard Himper Orchestra. Next we'll hear Midnight, the Stars, and You featuring Al Boley with Reed Noble in his orchestra from 1934.
2: western ballad to be sung by a music box host, Johnny Masley. Midnight on the trail, the night wind blowing free. My faithful horse and me riding on. Midnight on the trail, a world so new and strange. My old heart seems to change riding on. Wide open spaces the canyons wall Familiar places I love it all And as I watch the sky grow pale I dream of one delight To ride again at midnight on the trail
0: On the 1938 trail. That was Johnny Mesner and his music box band. Must have been a full moon that night since he was able to see everything so well. Before that we heard Al Boley with Ray Noble and his orchestra with their 1934 Midnight, The Stars and You. I know all you kids are not allowed to stay up late, but you can still attend this midnight party with its adult loneliness and wistful feelings and distant sounds of trains, plus some dancing and partying. And as long as it's just us kids, I've I've brought out the magic round-the-world tennis racket with the strings busted out and replaced with special sensors that allow us staff members to watch our listeners through their radios. I see little Tommy and little Jimmy, and Don is wearing his flannel pajamas with the clowns and balloons. And Lynn! Nice wallpaper. Let's zoom in. Aha! Heads of the Presidents. Always seems to go up to Richard Nixon, though. And it looks like Dan is still up helping his mother make something on the stove. Okay, time for more midnight party. And St. Stephen's native Henry Burr is here to describe some 1923 nefarious goings on at midnight. Midnight Waltz from 1925 that was the Bob Herring Orchestra and before that Henry Burr was out at midnight tisking about Midnight Rose who was just out having some fun and probably didn't need his judgmentalism. Alright so what have we learned about Midnight so far? People are out partying or failing that they might lay awake at night fretting about their love life but let's turn our attention to strange midnight occurrences on the open sea. A rainbow at midnight was spotted in 1946 by Eddie Dean and his boys.
3: After the war was over, I was called. I saw a rainbow at midnight out on the ocean blue the stars up in heaven were shining the moon gave its light from above I saw your face in the rainbow it made of our love.
0: Tommy Dorsey and his 1938 Clambake Seven, out sailing at midnight. Edith Wright reporting. This was preceded by a strange rainbow at midnight which was taken as a portent by Eddie Dean and his boys in 1946. This special edition of Round the World is being brought to you underage folk who have to be in bed by nine or 10 and have never had the adult experience of being up at midnight. And Eddie Dean and his boys are back to describe the 1947 desolation of lying awake listening to the midnight train.
3: The sunshine's gone From lonesome valley And all alone I must remain While far away through lonesome valleys Comes the dying cry Of the midnight train How many tears How many sorrows How many hearts Are about in pain Whose love today Is gone tomorrow Carried away in the Midnight Today is gone tomorrow Carried away On the midnight train The fire burns low The song is dying And only memories remain But teardrops flow My heart is crying When I hear the wail of the midnight train How many tears, how many sorrows How many hearts are bowed in pain Whose love today is gone tomorrow Carried away on the midnight train
0: musical depictions of the lonely sound of trains in the middle of the night. We heard Eddie Dean and his boys tell of the 1947 Midnight Train, and they rolled right into Tiny Grimes' Midnight Special from 1948. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. We're trying to learn a few things about the adult world kept hidden from us kids to do that, we're studying musical works about what goes on at midnight, which is well past our bedtimes. It seems that midnight is a special hour filled with secret meetings and people searching for symbolic meaning and omens and auguries. Frank Sinatra wants any groundbreaking conversations to occur at that magic hour. He is aided by Tommy Dorsey and his 1940 orchestra. Tell me at midnight. That was Midnight Clipper, T.J. Fowler and his orchestra in 1950. Before that, a very early Frank Sinatra. 1940 to be exact. Tell Me at Midnight, with Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra. Hey kids, welcome back to the Midnight Party. Since you can't stay up till midnight, we are bringing Midnight to you. Now, let me take another look through the magic round-the-world tennis racket. And I see... uh, Jimbo looks like he's getting ready for bed, and Red is brushing his teeth, and Cindy is straightening her room so she doesn't wake up to a disaster area. Some of our listeners are putting the radio under the covers so they can continue listening to what happens to people at midnight without staying up past their bedtimes. Our next Midnight Melody will feature Rosa Henderson in 1923. Here is Midnight Blues. Midnight Till Dawn. That was the 1928 Charlie Strait Orchestra. This was preceded by Rosa Henderson singing the 1923 Midnight Blues. Yes, midnight is party time for some people. And for others, it's not all fun and games. It can be a time of introspection and reckoning. On the other hand, Nino Martini envisions a swashbuckling 1935 midnight in Paris assisted by Nathaniel Shilkret and his orchestra.
4: The moon is cold, my heart is bold, I hear a voice commanding me and I must abide. Midnight in Paris, a strange delight. In the night I hear the sweetest music and what it says Midnight in Paris sleep Romance and love Sweet is the madness of a midnight in Paris Shiree Hathor, your love is free, what if you should it with me? the are in the dark. midnight, in Paris, should What could be soul? What if you should love with me?
0: We heard Nino Martini with Nat Shilkrad and his orchestra, Midnight in 1935 Paris, and then Al Donahue and his orchestra Burned the Midnight Oil in 1940. We hear next to work about the desolation of 1949 homelessness at midnight. Here is Little Willie Littlefield. It's midnight and there's no place to go.
5: about midnight, when I had no place to go. Yes, Lord, about midnight, when I had no place to go. It was a miserable feeling to hear you say you won't be back no more. Well, I laid my head on my pillow And I cried for a whole night long Yes, I laid my head on my pillow And I cried for a whole night long
0: Lonious Monk Quintet in 1948 that was round about midnight, before that little Willie Littlefield sang about having nowhere to go in the middle of the night, the 1949 It's Midnight. And this wraps up our foray into the unspeakable mysteries of midnight. Midnight is past our bedtime, so we studied midnight implicitly through song references and found that People who are awake at midnight are sometimes lonesome, obsessing about their loved ones, listening to the train go by, disappearing into the night on a ribbon of track extending to infinity, or just out having a good time and dancing. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now huddle under the covers where it might be safe. As we play a 1946 episode of Murder at Midnight, entitled The Line is Dead. So let's listen.
6: Too sure about that, Wentworth. What do you mean? Don't forget that skeleton there. He was once a man, too. Until he was trapped in here or murdered. What of it? Oh, nothing. Nothing except this.
7: Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest. Our fears the strongest and our strength. At its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in The Line is Dead. of Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story by Bate Blau is The Line is Dead. The gash in the green lawn of Brookside Memorial Park awaits the body of Albert Lockridge, scientist and explorer. There are few who have followed him to his last resting place, For Albert Lockridge was not one who was prodigal with his affection. And so beside the yawning grave stands his wife, Lenore. Albert. Finishing the short service, the minister says...
8: And so, unto dust, you are now committed. (laughs) You may lower the casket.
7: Strong hands grasp the straps attached to the coffin... The pulleys sing their discordant dirge, a strange melody heard over the soft weeping of Lenore Lockridge. Suddenly,
9: listen, knocking, knocking in the coffin. Albert, Albert, we hear you. We know you're alive. Put me
8: on. raise the casket. Raise the casket. and on, Come get you. I'm on. I'm on. I'm on.
9: he, Dr. George?
10: He seems to be, but... But uh, what? Well, you can't blame me if I'm a little hesitant in giving my opinion.
9: You mean you're not sure that he'll... that he will? Yes. Oh.
10: After all, Mrs. Lockridge, my position is a little awkward. I signed the death certificate feeling certain that your husband was dead, and now I'm naturally reluctant to predict just what course his convalescence will take.
9: I think I understand. The only thing that really matters is that my husband's lying in his bed at home and not in a cold... Black Earth a Brookside. Isn't that true?
10: Yeah, you're a very sensible woman.
9: Albert will get better.
10: Yeah, probably. But we'll have to watch his heart.
9: His heart?
10: These strange spells when his heart seems to stop, uh, when I thought it had stopped. Each attack is an added strain.
9: But the strain of regaining consciousness in the coffin, he withstood that with even a, when even a healthy person might not have.
10: Oh, he's a hard person to kill. No,
9: well, thank goodness for that.
10: Well, this time it was a pretty close call. If he'd come to even ten minutes later, Mrs. Lockridge... No one would have ever known.
6: Albert? Uh, uh, Lenore? Lenore? Is that you?
9: Albert, the doctor says you'll be fine if you'll only rest.
6: I, I, I can't rest. I've i got to ask you a question.
9: Dear, you've been through so much. Too much for any one person. So save any questions, you may. No,
6: this question can't wait. That sealed envelope, Lenore. The one on my
9: desk. The one I'm supposed to read after... after your... your...
6: Yes, yes, after I'm dead. Lenore? Lenore, you haven't read it? Have you?
9: No. No, Albert. <sighs> I'd plan to read it after... After the funeral, just as you told me to. sure? You haven't read it? Of course.
6: Get it for me. I want to see for myself.
9: Albert, no. You have so little strength.
6: But I must know.
9: You will. I must know now.
6: Because if you have read it, I'd want to
9: live. Albert, I swear, I swear I haven't. Please believe me. You saw it? No. Look at me. You can see I'm telling the truth. Look at me.
6: Yes. Yes, I think you
11: are telling the
10: truth. Well, Mr. Lockridge, another few days and we'll have you out of that wheelchair.
6: Sometimes I wonder why you go to all this trouble with me, Doctor. It's my job. Yes, but there's so many people who really enjoy life and yet die. Twice now I've been pronounced dead, only to return to life almost reluctantly.
10: Reluctantly? Yes. <laughs> you tried awfully hard to get out of the coffin. <laughs> the sheer horror of being
6: buried alive. I've always been terrified of it. Uh, since uh, childhood? Yes. My nurse locked me in a closet whenever I misbehaved. I always thought I'd be left to die there. Oh, it's, it's not the fact of being death that bothers me. It's... Uh, It's the fear of being buried alive. It's the choking, the futility of crying out.
10: Yes, it would be a horrible way to die, but...
1: Excuse me, doctor. There's a Mr. Burton here to see you, Mr. Lockridge.
10: Good. Show him in, nurse. Uh, Nurse, take our patient out on the sun porch. I'll send his visitor there. Mr.
8: Lockridge?
6: Sit down, Mr. Burton.
8: Thank you.
6: Nurse if you don't mind
3: not at all if you need me just call
6: now mr burton as i understand your business i'm a telephone engineer specializing in
12: special types of telephone systems
6: hmm. yeah perhaps you've read about me in the paper
12: yeah sure i have
7: you're the guy who came back from the grave
6: yes i'm the guy who came back from the grave And it strikes me, Mr. Burton, that an occasion might again arise when I might want to do the same thing. That's why I called you. Come again? Sometime, a doctor again may pronounce me dead. Perhaps I will be, perhaps I won't. And if I'm not, I'd like to feel that I could call for help. I don't get it. Mr. Burton, in case it should happen again, I'd like you to install a private telephone from this house to my grave. I must promised to keep the phone installed and in working condition for a year after I'm buried.
9: A year? Darling, that doesn't make any sense.
6: With a stop-and-go, heart of mine doesn't make any sense either.
9: But, Albert, a year...
6: The first time, my heart stopped for six hours. The next time, nearly two days. Who can tell? Well,
9: a week, a month,
6: perhaps. I think I'm asking very little.
9: Well, then think of me, darling. Think of waiting day in and day out for the ring of that telephone. Think of the jumping at every stray bell, at every noise... Darling, you're condemning me to a slow death, like like being in a grave above ground.
6: I still think my request is a modest one, and the least that a wife who loved her husband would do for him.
9: Albert, don't start that again.
6: After all, I shall be in my grave. Perhaps. Perhaps I shall be waiting, too, waiting
9: for help that will never come. Will you please stop this morbid talk? Nothing else seems to be on your mind lately. Besides, it's terribly late, almost midnight. Let's... When
6: death comes to a man slowly, he gets time to think about it. Too much time
9: stop it
13: please
6: it seems to me that you are only too anxious to get rid of me
9: albert how can you even think such a thing after i've been a good wife haven't i
6: yes but you might have made oliver wentworth an even better one
9: albert please please don't bring that up again what
6: would have happened if oliver had come back from that expedition i
9: don't know
6: you would have married him wouldn't you
9: perhaps i don't know
6: how can you say that You were engaged to him, weren't you?
9: An engagement doesn't always mean marriage.
6: You didn't intend to marry him, didn't you? Of
9: course I did. What of it? You know I intended to.
6: And you only changed your mind because he was killed. That's why you turned towards me. Well...
9: I was nothing in your life. You were very sweet to me, Albert, then. I could see that you loved me in your peculiar way. I I appreciated everything you did for me. Appreciate it. Oh, Albert, why dig, 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 looking for a sore spot? It's not fair to me or to you. I was
6: nothing in your life, was I... As long as Oliver was alive.
9: What are you trying to prove?
6: All the time we've spent together, I've played second fiddle to Oliver Wentworth.
9: Look, Albert Lockridge, when we married, I said I'd put all thoughts of Oliver out of my mind while I've done it. At least...
6: At least? At least what? You mean you've tried, but you couldn't. I knew it. I knew it. You've never loved me. He's always been in your heart.
9: What are you talking about? You
6: just said it. If I had died, you would never have given me another thought. But all the time, here, in my own house, he's been living his own memory, haunting you, haunting us. I can't go on like this. It just can't go on. I've struggled with him long Albert. enough. He's got to go. No matter what I have to do to crush his memory, I've got to
9: kill it. I've got... Uh, Albert. Uh, uh, Lenore. What is it?
6: Uh, Lenore, help me, help me. chair my heart?
9: I've got you. Now, slowly. No, slowly? I,
6: I don't think I can make it.
9: Of course you can. Of course you can. You've got to. Oh, but I
11: can't. I.
9: <laughs> Doctor, are you sure?
10: Absolutely, Mrs. Lockridge. And this time, the two heart specialists agree with me. But,
9: Doctor, in view of what happened before... We've
10: tried to take that into consideration, but even so... can't
9: you postpone signing the certificate?
10: I'm sorry, Mrs. Lockridge. My colleagues and I all agree that your husband is dead. There can be no delay.
9: Very well, Doctor. Thank you for everything.
10: Goodbye, Mrs. Lockridge.
9: Goodbye, Doctor. Hello? Mr. Burton? This is Mrs. Lockridge speaking. My husband died yesterday. He's to be buried tomorrow at Brookside. Will you please be there as he desired to install a telephone in his grave?
7: A man who was afraid, not of death, but of being buried alive. A telephone to a sealed grave and the great beyond. Will we hear from Albert Lockridge again before the clock strikes twelve for Murder
2: at Midnight?
7: And now back to Murder at Midnight and The Line is Dead.
9: One... one minute. Oh, Dr. George. Uh,
10: good evening, Mrs. Lockery.
9: Shockly nice of you to call.
10: I was worried about you.
9: Oh, I'm all right. I'm fine.
10: I couldn't come to the funeral. I tried to phone you, but... The phone's uh,
9: disconnected. So
10: they said. And so I came over. I rang the bell several times. No answer either. No answer either. Finally, I knocked.
9: I've had the doorbell disconnected, too.
10: You mustn't cut yourself off from the world like this, Mrs. Lockridge. Believe
9: me, doctor, that's not my intention. But as long as I stand guard at this telephone, I want to be sure that the only bell that ever rings in this house is the one that tells me that Albert's not dead, that he's still alive there in his coffin, that he needs help.
10: You're really going through with this?
9: He asked me to. It doesn't seem too much.
10: No, you're only deluding yourself, Mrs. Lockridge, believe me. Waiting this way is only a perverse and completely futile sort of mourning.
9: I know you can't understand.
10: I can't. But I do know that this morbid watch will only deepen your grief. Prevent you from making any kind of adjustment to his death.
9: What difference does it make? you're
10: a young woman, Mrs. Lockridge. You have a whole life ahead of you.
9: All the more reason for spending some of it as he wanted me to. Doctor, my husband was not the sort of person who inspired affection. I know. But in his odd, sometimes unaccountable way, he did love me. Now that he's gone, no one on earth holds any fond memories of him but me. A
10: heavy responsibility, Mrs. Lockeridge. Still, uh, you must take care of yourself.
9: I will, Doctor.
10: Assume that he is dead. Mourn him, as you will. But don't live in a state of suspended animation. For instance, if he's left a will, don't put off reading it.
9: There are some papers which I was supposed to read after his death. They're in a sealed envelope in his desk. Uh, Read
10: them. Uh, Read them immediately. No, not yet. Uh, You should. Perhaps there contains some message of comfort. Get the envelope now.
9: Not now, Dr. George, but very soon. Just a moment. Yes? Oh. Oh. Lenore. Oh, no. No, it can't.
8: It is. I know I shouldn't have come, just like this, without warning.
9: But I thought... I've always thought...
8: That I was dead. Yes, I know.
9: That's what Albert told me, and you you never came back. No. Why?
8: It's a long story, Lenore. A story you ought to hear.
9: You know that Albert died yesterday?
8: I know. That's why I came.
9: why didn't you come sooner when he was alive? Were you afraid to meet
8: him? I was afraid to meet you.
9: Why, Oliver?
8: By the time I returned, you and Albert were already married.
9: But even so, we both would have worked. I wonder.
8: You see, I knew you thought I was dead. No good would have come of such a meeting. But now, now everything is different. Different? Yes, of course. I loved you then. I love you now. Oliver. I've come back for you.
9: Oliver, you don't understand. How How can I even think of such things today
8: lenore i had to come i've waited so long i couldn't wait a day longer
9: can't you see it's useless even to think about that now he may still be alive i know no it's not right just because you do not today
8: i was afraid you'd think so lenore i wanted to avoid this but now i see i must tell you lenore neither of us knew albert lockridge
9: after all, Oliver, I've lived with him. I still
8: don't think you ever really knew him. I never did, even though I worked with him for many years. That is, until the day we stood in the great hall of the old Aztec temple. The temple we found on that last expedition. The one from which I was not supposed to come back from. We were trying to find a door to an inner chamber. There must be an opening
6: here somewhere went with. In every Aztec temple ever found, there was always a room near the altar.
8: used a keep ceremonial objects. I know, I know. Now, wait a minute. Hmm? It sounds like a little hollow here. Now, what about that slab on the floor? What about it? You think that it might... Certainly sounds different. If I were an Aztec priest, and I stepped on it like this... Went with, Went with the door! We found the door. Solid stone. And still working after all these centuries. Let's take a look inside. You got the flashlight? Yes, take the hammer. Oh, right. Uh oh. It's not very pretty. Ah. Uh. It is a human skeleton, isn't it? Yeah. Probably trapped in here and left to die. <sighs> Ugly death. Look, Lockwich. Those dishes. Oh, swing the flashlight over. Gold. Solid gold. There are more over here. Look, stacks of them. What? We found a treasure. Now, wait a minute, Lockwood. Let's get this straight. In the first place, I don't think we'd be let out of the country with these gold plates.
6: Oh, but we can melt them down and
8: smuggle them out. Melt them down? Why, these things are priceless. Besides, the university sent us here. If the gold belongs to anyone, it's theirs. No one ever has to know. Oh, yes, they do, because I'll tell them. Huh? (laughs) Huh. It's all very well for you to play the heroic fool. You've everything
6: you want. What the devil do you mean? You know perfectly well, you've got all the money you need. Besides, you have Lenore.
8: What's she got to do with it?
6: You do have Lenore, haven't you? You
8: act as if I took her from you. You were afraid of me. Oh, Lockwood, don't be an idiot. Lenore would no more look at you than... Oh, wouldn't she?
6: She'd marry me if you weren't in the way. I know it.
8: You fool. She's just being friendly to you because I asked her. We'll see. If you weren't around... But I am around. And as far as the gold plates are concerned... I
6: said we'll see. After all, that skeleton there, he was once a man, too. Until he was trapped in here?
14: What of it? Oh.
6: Nothing. 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 When
8: I came to, I was there in the dark. Flashlight, the gold plates gone. Left there to die. Trapped behind a stone door. Oh
9: no, Oliver, no.
8: When Albert Lockridge closed that door, in his heart, in his twisted brain, there was only one intention. Murder.
9: How did you get out?
8: By luck, more than anything else. I had the hammer and I knew where the stone latch was. I started chipping away at it. To this day, I don't know how long it took me, but when I finally got out, I was a sick man. Exhausted. And by the time I was well enough to travel, come home here, you were already married.
9: And he told me that you'd been killed by natives. Of course, that was a lie, but. Oliver, I still can't believe that your story is completely true
0: either. But
9: why? A man who's been the victim of an attempted murder would see that the murderer was punished. You didn't. Didn't even try to.
8: Well, Lenore, how could I? He was your husband. Well, why should that Could I brand you as the wife of a murderer? Loving you as I did, as I do? I had to wait now let's forget this horrible past
9: i can't no matter how i feel i can't after all there's no proof
8: lenore don't you believe me it's
9: not just that don't you see at any moment the telephone may ring telling me that he's alive if i knew your story were true perhaps i'd feel differently but now my place is here i must stay
8: here lenore please if you feel any love for me at all will
9: you go oliver please
8: if that's what you wish yes lenore i'll go But remember,
7: I love you.
9: I don't know why it should matter now, but I still hope you told the truth, Oliver, for then. The papers in the sealed envelope. I promised Dr. George I'd read them. Lenore, there are many things on my mind as I sit writing this last word to you. Many things which no human mind should have to bear without telling another. As I look over my life, I know now there's been an empty mind.
6: I've never had a straightforward human emotion enacted on it. My work has been a sort of shadow play which gave my hollow existence an outward tinge of reality. No friend has really touched me, for I cannot be reached. I married you more out of perverse vanity than love. And yet, perhaps because of your loyalty, some spark of love has been kindled in me. Bear this in mind when you go out to the garden, for there, underneath the sundial, you will find a treasure of gold <laughs> which should take care of you when I cannot. I had intended to use this gold myself, but I could not because it might incriminate me in the murder of Oliver oh, Wentworth.
9: People, people might ask them. questions, <gasps> The murder of Oliver Wentworth. Then his story, his story was true. Oliver, oh, Oliver, Oliver. Gone. Well, he can't have gone far, and if I hurry...
7: Telephone ringing, ringing in an empty house. A man who is not dead, lying in his coffin, fighting for breath and waiting, waiting for an answer that will not come. A fitting payment for murder at midnight. of Mr and Mrs Albert Lockridge were played by Mr and Mrs Raymond Edward Johnson with music by Charles Paul Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M Leader
0: HDLP Eastport We've just heard a 1946 episode of Murder at Midnight entitled The Lion is Dead Now stay tuned for a 1944 episode of Suspense Life Ends at Midnight
13: Suspense This is The Man in Black. To introduce this weekly half hour of... Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, Miss Faye Bainter, Mr. Ralph Morgan, and Mr. Dane Clark in a suspense play dealing with a mother and a son and a lodger who kept an appointment with death. And so, with Life Ends at Midnight, and with the performances of Faye Bainter as Mrs. Bates, of Dane Clark as her son Walter and of Ralph Morgan as Mr. Chalmers, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense!
14: That's right, Mom. It's your little sunny boy, Waller. You still remember my whistle, eh?
15: Oh, yes, I. But what I I didn't know. You that... know
14: when I'll turn up, eh, Mom? What's the matter? Do we have to stand here in a hall?
15: Oh, no, no. Come in. I... It's just. Come in, Walter.
14: Well, it's the same old crummy joint.
15: I do my best to keep it clean, Walter. Yeah, and...
14: I know. regular old mother hubbard. You'll have to clean up the whole south side before you get the Magoo out of this flea bag. Boy, am I tired, up all night in a stinking day coach full of snoring jerks and squalling babies. <sighs> babies are the worst. All they do is bawl and slobber.
15: You left Pittsburgh last night?
14: One in the morning, didn't sleep a wink. Yeah, look at my collar.
15: But tomorrow is Monday. You have to be at work in the morning.
14: Sure, I... What's the matter, are you worried? Oh,
15: no, no, I, I just...
14: Don't just. Can't a guy come home to see his mother once in six months? That's a mother for you. You break your back. You sit up all night to see your mother for one day, and she tells you you have to be at work in the morning. How do you like
15: it? Uh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't miss you so. I just worried yeah, about it.
14: Yeah, 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 I know. Well, don't worry so much. It makes me nervous.
15: Here, sit at the table, dear. You must be starved.
14: Oh, all right. Now it's like coming home.
15: Oh, my <laughs> baby, I'm so glad to see you. You did come just to see me, didn't you?
14: Well, Sadie Lamar?
15: Well, of course you came <laughs> to see me. It's just that I always worry so about you, forget I mean. It,
14: forget it, Well, what's to eat?
15: I was just making a chop for my lunch. That's all there seems to be in the house right uh, now. That'll enough for me. It'll be ready in a minute. Now tell me about yourself, your job.
14: Never mind about me. How are you doing?
15: Well, I try not to complain, Walter. Things are not easy, prices high, rent's going up all the time, even on this old house. Honest, I don't know what I'm going to do if things don't... You
14: uh, had some bonds Papa left you. You had about $2,000 bonds he left you. Well, I'm
15: trying to tell you, Walter, things haven't been easy.
14: Always a poor mouth. Every time I see her, she's putting on a poor mouth. I'm
15: just saying things aren't easy.
14: And for me, do you think it's a picnic? I got enough trouble, and for what? For what? All year I work like crazy. For what? A man must work, Walter. A man must work, Walter. Ah.
15: Yes, that's true. A man must work and live like a person, and not be afraid so that he can sleep without worrying about... about... About what? about a bell ringing at night or a knock on the door in the morning or someone touching you on the arm. Yes, it's a nice feeling and a free feeling to be able to walk down the street in the sun with your eyes meeting another man's without wondering if he...
14: Shut up, shut up! I ain't in trouble against her. Stop mouthing at me. You're always mouthing at me. You
15: haven't. You know what the judge said the last time, Walter? He Uh... was nice. Now he gave you another chance. He saw you were really a good boy and he gave you another chance. He got you a nice job and you promised to... You must... Oh, you're all right, Walter. You didn't... A uh,
14: meatball. A herring on a plate all your life. You're a tomcat in the garbage. You find a fish head and you say, thank you, mister. You chew a fish good and you smile pretty. Well, not for me. You take a chance and you throw away the fish heads. You get one break and you're out of the garbage camp for life. You throw a time clock and shiny pants. You're in a higher bracket so nobody gets you. Yeah, you're a mister with a future. You hold your nose when you walk in the day coach of your compartment. You leave the stinks behind and a port of dusty air in front of you, and that's for me. One break. One break and you're as hot as a rocket shooting diamonds for sparks. p a P-38 in a world full of flippers. A buck gets you two, two gets you four. Walter. Good for one blunt to kick her and a kisser. her. It's so, all right. I took another chance. I try to run it up. No dice. I got to make it good. Tomorrow morning, I got to make it good. The books at of the office will show it, and I got to make it good. How much? Fifteen hundred.
15: Fifteen hundred dollars by
14: midnight tonight. Fifteen hundred. If I miss that twelve twenty for Pittsburgh, it's all up. I, I, I might as well take gas. Fifteen
15: hundred by midnight tonight. Where am I going to get it, Walter? The
14: bonds. You got the bonds, the up. bonds.
15: The bonds. How do you think I got you out of the last trouble? Bribes, bail, paying back every dime. Where do you think I got I'll
14: it? I'll get ten years. You heard the judge last time.
15: What can I do? What?
14: Ten what? years and start. Ten years. There won't be no reform school oh, this time.
12: Walter, oh, look, please.
14: Please, Ma, please get me the money. I'll get it from me. I'll be good. I'll work hard. I won't give you no more trouble. But help me now. Please, Mama. Please, where
15: can my... I get it, Walter? I... Nothing left. <laughs> Nothing I don't left. care where you get
14: it. It's your fault and you gotta help me. I only wanted to help you. Yes. Oh, now I'm gonna. Yes.
15: It is my fault. I've always protected you, but I, I can't protect you anymore. I'll give you the few dollars I have go away. It'll be enough to help you run away. That's all I can do.
14: You're holding out on me. You're worrying about your old age. You're making yourself a cushy little... No. Oh.
12: Oh, oh I, I, I'm sorry. I, I hope I'm not intruding. Who? Who's this?
15: Oh, Mr. Chalmers. This is Mr. Chalmers, Walter. He has the back bedroom. This. This is my son, Walter, Mr. Chalmers.
12: How do you do, Mr. Bates? I feel that I know you very well. Your mother and I sit here in the kitchen sometimes over a cup of tea, and she talks about you for hours and hours. Yes, I can see why Mother is so proud of you. How do you do, Mr. Bates? Yes, you're a fine-looking young man. Mrs. Bates, if you'll excuse me, I'm just going to the corner for my paper. I think that little man with the tiny mustache... (laughs) You know who I mean, the insurance agent... I think he might call again to collect. Please tell him to go away. You will do that for me, Mrs. Bates. Yes, Mr. Chalmer. Thank you, Mrs. Bates. Tell him not to come back anymore. I don't want to pay any more on the policy. You remember I told you my nephew was very sick in Spokane? Yes, Mr. Chalmers. Well, the poor young man passed away, yes. I was going to leave him a few dollars when I died. But now, well, I have no one left at all. And, well, a dollar a week... You'll tell that to the little man with the tiny moustache? Yes, Mr. Chalmers. Thank you, Mrs. Bates. Good day, Mr. Bates. Walter,
15: I have $40 in the house for the rent. You can take that. Drop me a card when you get settled someplace. Let me know where you are. I'll send you some more as soon as I can get it. Maybe later I'll be able to straighten it out. Maybe later I'll be able to speak to your boss. I'll promise to pay back every dime. But you must go away. You
14: must. Uh, Tell me something about Mr. Chalmers. He interests me very strangely. Walter! Don't be so nervous, Ma. We got plenty of time. We got
13: till midnight. Tonight, for suspense, Faye Bainter, Ralph Morgan, and Dane Clark. You have heard them in the prologue to our suspense play this evening Robert Tallman's Story. Life Ends at Midnight And now it is with pleasure that we bring back to our soundstage Faye Beta, Ralph Morgan and Dane Clark in Life Ends at Midnight A tale well calculated to keep you in Suspense
12: Yes, I, I do think I'll have another cup if you don't mind, Mrs. Bates.
14: Now, Mr. Charmer, suppose you look at it this way.
12: You've been paying one buck a week for how many years now? Hmm, I'd say 20 years would be a conservative estimate.
14: All right, 20 years. Now, let's see, that's uh, 50 bucks a year. Say that's uh,
12: 1,000 bucks you paid in, no? Yes, 1,000 bucks. This coffee cake, Mrs. Bates, is excellent. Do
15: you like it? I made it yesterday Forget when I... got
12: the coffee cake. Now, uh,
14: let's uh, figure percentage. How many more years do you figure to live?
12: Walter! Oh, that's all right, Mrs. Bates. After all, I'm an old man, and at my age, one rather, well, comes to terms with death. It's like the end of a long, busy day. Life ends at midnight, and a new day begins. Yes, Walter, I I think you're on the verge of making a very profound observation. you see. My policy is for $2,500. And in the days that are left to me, I certainly will not be required to pay in as much as I have already paid out. That's the
14: exact point. And if you drop it now, will you get anything back? No. You got a straight life with no cash in value. If you drop the policy now, the insurance company is the winner. But say you live another couple of years. You pay a couple of hundred more. And you leave the $2,500 to somebody. Now... Which is a smart thing, I'll leave it to you.
12: Yes, I, I should like to think that when I'm gone, I've left something behind for someone. Mr. Chalmers, oh yes, I'll always remember him for this. It's nice to live on in somebody's memory for a little while after we're dead. But A, I have no one in this world. And B, I must be very, very frank and tell you that I can no longer afford to pay even the dollar a week. You see, I live on a That's
14: view... a problem of the most minor importance. For anybody who invests in you now a buck a week would be guilt edged. I mean, for instance, well, take my mother here. Now suppose you made her the beneficiary. Now suppose she continued to pay the buck a week. Who can lose on such a deal? Who can lose? Nobody. You get the point?
15: Oh, no, no, I, I couldn't. Why why it's it...
14: Why not? It's simple, huh?
15: No, no, Mr. Chalmers, no, you mustn't.
14: Let Mr. Chalmers aside. How's huh, the chalmers? It makes good sense, no? Makes everybody happy, no? But we're practically strangers. We just... What do you mean, strangers? Who's a stranger in this world? We're just little people trying to make each other happy. Huh, Mr. Chalmers? Now, Mr. Chalmers here can die feeling he didn't waste a buck a week for 20 years, and he'll know he'll live in your memory. That's what he wants. Now, why shouldn't he have it? Ain't every man entitled to at least live in somebody's memory?
15: Yes, but Mr. Chalmers doesn't have to do that. I'll think about him anyway. I I promise I will... He, he don't let have... Let
14: him say something. You're always
12: mounting. Now, what are you saying, Mr. Chalmers? Oh, that must be the little man with the tiny mustache. I'll tell him I'm keeping the policy and changing the beneficiary. Oh, uh, could you let me have the loan of a dollar, Mr. Bates? <laughs>
14: Well, yeah, the old man's coming home in a minute or two. He takes his nap about this time. I want this ready for him. Oh, no, relax, Sonny, relax. I can't finish this job today. What are you giving me? It'll take a
7: joint and another length of pie.
14: Oh, fix it up. You're a good plumber. You can fix it up for now. Man, yeah, the room's pretty small. Oh. Why do you want the heater so close to the bed for him? Like I told you, he's got rheumatism. He needs plenty of heat. Well, I can run a rubber extension, but with gas, I don't like it. Okay, so with gas, you don't like it, but with gas, we got to run this heater. The old man's got rheumatics. He can take plenty of gas. Huh? Uh, heat, I mean. He needs plenty. What are you doing now? Tightening this chain. Look, it's tight enough. Here's your three bucks. And okay, okay, you're the boss. Bring your tools the next time. I won't be in next time, Sonny. What are you giving me now? You can get somebody else to do your dirty work after this. So long, Skippy. Skippy. <laughs> Oh, come on, Skippy. Pull yourself together. we got
7: work to do.
14: <laughs> Hiya, Pop. Well,
12: this is a pleasant surprise.
14: Uh, yeah, this used to be my room. The steam don't come up here so good, so I talked the old lady into fixing this up for you. Well, that was very thoughtful of you, Walter. Thanks, I... Stuffed up the cracks in the window, too. Zero weather. It gets
12: plenty of drafty in this room. You thought of everything, didn't you, Walter? Huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it ought to work out just fine. It'll do the job, I think. I, uh, I'm going to take a little nap before dinner. Uh, do you think the heat... Ah, uh,
14: just leave it on. I'll look in after a bit to see if it's okay. Well, now, you needn't go to all that trouble. No, it's no trouble at all, Mr. Chalmers. When I do a thing, I like to do it right. <laughs>
12: Oh. Well, who's there? Is that you, Walter?
14: Yeah, go on back to sleep, Pop. Oh. I'm just turning the heater off. It's getting stuffy in here.
12: Oh, you're a good considerate boy, Walter.
14: Oh, I skip it. Go on, go on back to sleep. Hmm.
11: hmm. Oh.
15: walk so fast, Walter. My feet are hurting me again.
14: You can buy new shoes tomorrow.
15: I'd like to know what with.
14: Maybe you'll have dough tomorrow. Maybe we'll both have some dough.
15: If a miracle happened. Well,
14: maybe miracles do happen. Maybe if you're smart.
15: Where are you taking me to, Walter?
14: Nowhere in particular. I thought we'd stroll around the old neighborhood. Like old times.
15: Why, well, that's a nice idea, Walter. But my feet... Yeah. Speech...
14: Hello, Mrs. Bitch.
15: Good evening, Officer Flanagan. This is my son, Walter. He's just here from Pittsburgh.
14: Well, glad to know you. How's business, copper? Oh, much the
1: same. Vagrancy, petty larceny, once in a while, a suicide. Suicide? Yeah, that's what
6: they start out to do, but it's harder to get bumped off than most people think. Huh? Case just last week over in the next precinct. Dame turned on the gas in her room and lay down on the bed. What happened? Nothing. You always bungle somewhere, amateurs.
7: Gas petered out. She forgot to put a quarter in the meter.
16: Seven
6: o'clock.
15: Uh, i got to call
6: in. Well, good
14: night, Mr. Good, Bates. Good
15: night, officer. Nice to meet you, Walter. Ma. Yes,
14: Walter? When did you put a quarter in the meter at home?
15: Why? I don't remember. Goodness, I'd better get some change. Never
14: mind a change. Come on.
15: Walter, why did you ask about the gas meter? What do you think? Walter, you didn't... That isn't why you put the heater in, Mr. Chalmers. What do you think? I don't think anything. I just pray, pray. That quarter ran Save out your before press.
14: Of if that didn't work, I'll try another way. Either that old clerk is dead before midnight or I spent ten years in stir. He's going to be dead before midnight, see? And if you try to make any trouble, you'll be pushing daisies right along with him.
11: <laughs> Stop sniveling. We're going in there now. Now, look,
14: if it took, scream your head off or I'll give you a reason to scream. Smell it. Ah, uh, come on.
12: Oh, I... Oh, well, good evening, Walter and Mrs. Bates. I was just on my way out. Oh,
15: Mr. Chalmers, you're all right. You're all right.
12: Of course he's all right. What's eating you? I have a slight headache, it's true. But a brisk walk in the open air will cure that, I'm sure. Hey. Well, oh, you look at this. What is it, Walter?
14: Well, this hose on a heater. Huh. Got unhitched. No wonder you got a headache.
12: I thought I smelled gas.
14: Boy, it's lucky for you, Ma forgot to put a quarter in the meter.
12: Providence works in strange ways, doesn't it, Walter? Well, I must be getting on. I'll be coming home rather late, Mrs. Bates, so I'll just let myself in. Uh, how late? Well, I, I thought I'd stop at the neighborhood picture house for dinner. That'll be around nine o'clock, so I imagine I won't be home much before eleven.
15: Mr. Chalmers, there's something I've wanted yes, to... Yes, Mrs. Bates. Walter's a good boy at heart, you know, but... He's been in some trouble lately, and
12: Is there anything I can do to help, Walter? Yeah,
14: plenty. I'll tell you all about it when you get him. You get back. Come on, you better run along now, Mr. Chalmers. You don't want to be late for that picture.
12: Yes, yes, of course. Well, good night,
14: Mrs. Bates. Mr. Chalmers, that... Good night, Mr. Chalmers. Yes, good night.
15: Oh, Walter, I. Walter! Walter! No! No, no, Red Bull, No! You're oh, gonna tell him. Weren't you? Oh, girl. You'd
14: like to send me to the chair, wouldn't you?
15: you Struck me, Walter. You struck your own mother.
14: I ought to have messed up your sad, mucky face for good. Oh, it's no, your fault no, I pulled this up in the first place. Why didn't you remember to put a quarter on oh, that meter? Why didn't you?
15: I'm glad I forgot. He wouldn't be alive.
14: Ah, I shouldn't have messed around with gas, trying to spare your feelings, no. making you look like an accident. Oh, no. The thanks I get for it. She wants to blab the whole no, thing. Yes. Turn me in. My own mother. No,
15: no, Alden, No, no, that's not true. Why you... But don't strike me again, will? I can't
14: stand okay. it. Okay. Maybe now you'll cooperate. Now, look, let's put it this way. It's either you or him. If it's you, I don't care whether they get me or not. Are you listening? Oh,
11: yes, yes, Walter.
14: Oh. Okay, now, like I said, I got very little time to get this thing done. I ought to have done it neat and clean in the first place, like I said. He's old and weak. You just push him over on a bed, hold a pillow over his face for a few no. minutes, and the job's done. Nobody no, will ask I... any questions a guy that old. Walter,
15: well, for the last time, I'm begging
14: Okay, make sure it's for the last time. Remember, it's you or him, like I said.
15: What are you going to do?
14: Now, look. I'll be waiting in his room when he comes home. I'm shot anyway, so I'll lay down and get 40 winks. You wait up for him. Tell him I've left to catch a train. That's in case he suspects anything. When he comes to his room, I'll take care of the rest of it.
15: How do you know I won't warn him?
14: Because it's him or you, like I told you. I don't think you'll warn Mr. Chalmers. And don't try to stall him when he comes in. He's got to be dead by midnight. Or else. Morning, Get
12: evening, paper here. Seven... Oh. Good evening, Mr. Chalmers. Evening, Joe. I'll have the late edition of the Daily News as usual. Oh, I saved one out for you, Mr. Chalmers. <laughs> Thank you. Good night, Good Joe. Good night. Hey, oh, 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 by the way, Joe, I, I, I almost forgot... Can you give me the change of a dollar? Oh, sure, Mr. Chalmers. Yes, here you are.
13: Fifty, seventy-five, eighty-five, ninety, and one dollar. Well,
12: thank you. I just happened to think of something I need change for. A little good deed for a friend of mine.
9: Oh, Mr. Chalmers.
12: Well, I didn't think you'd be up so late, Mrs. Bates. I waited up especially. I
15: wanted to talk to you about Walter.
12: Mrs. Bates, your eye, it's all discolored.
15: Yes, I... The light burned out in the bathroom, and when I went to replace it in the dark, that is, I bumped into the door.
12: Now, I would have thought Walter would have done that for
15: you. Oh, no, Walter didn't... I mean... Walter's left already... He had to catch the 12.20 for Pittsburgh, you know.
12: But it's only 11 now. The clock
15: Perhaps he had some things to do on the way, I mean. Of
12: course. Well, I'm afraid I must be getting on to bed.
15: No, not just yet. I mean, won't you sit down for a minute and have a cup of tea with
12: me? Well, I'd like to, but tea keeps me awake, Mrs. Bates. I'll be getting long to my room now, if you don't mind. No.
15: No, oh, don't go into that room, Mr. Chalmers. Why,
12: Mrs. Bates, whatever's the trouble? My
15: son, Walter, there's something I must tell you.
12: Forgive me, Mrs. Bates, but I'm an old man and I need my rest. If it could possibly wait until morning. No, no,
15: no, it, it can't wait until morning. It's got to be told before midnight.
12: What was that? It sounds like someone moving about in the back of the house.
15: It, one of the shutters. It's loose. The wind.
12: Oh, you were saying, Mrs. Bates?
15: Nothing. I can't tell you, after all. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to tell it. Afraid.
12: There, there, Mrs. Bates. Perhaps in the morning. Try to get some rest.
15: You're you're going in there now?
12: I think that will be the best thing to do, all the way around. Don't you, Mrs. Bates? Good night. No, no way, Mrs. Bates. I. What is it, Mrs. Bates?
15: That smell. Gas. Walter. Walter. Walter.
12: Why don't you lie down for a few minutes, Mrs. Bates? I'll call you when the ambulance arrives. Listen.
15: It's striking twelve. Dead before midnight. That's what he said.
12: Dead before midnight. Poor lad. Fell asleep. If only I hadn't remembered to go back for that change. You did
15: it. (laughs) You put the quarter in the meter. That's what turned on the gas that killed him.
12: Well, you mentioned the gas having gone off and forgetting to put a quarter in the meter. So on the way to the picture house, I just went around to the back entry and dropped the coin. I suppose I should have remembered about the connection being loose on the heater in my room. But I wanted to surprise you with my good deed. I didn't mean to do anything wrong, Mrs. Bates. Truly, I didn't. No.
15: You didn't do anything wrong, Mr. Chalmers. You didn't do anything wrong.
13: And so closes Life Ends at Midnight, starring Faye Bainter, Ralph Morgan, and Dane Clark. Tonight's tale of Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear.
0: You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Just heard a 1944 episode of Suspense entitled Life Ends at Midnight.
5: like drops from a water
11: Thank uh-huh. you.
0: Nocturnal bonus tracks. We just heard the Abe Lyman Orchestra version of Midnight Rose, which was preceded by some 1928 Midnight Reflections by Paul Whiteman and his orchestra. And the Nocturnal Nuggets started out with the Beasley Singers with Chet Adkins and his 1951 Galloping Guitar. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around-the-world staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week! Loudon, A.K.A. The Bass Lady. Join me for Jazz Potpourri, airing Wednesdays from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., with a repeat on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. From divas to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP,
2: Eastport. Hey, have I got a radio show for you? Bold Coasting comes at you twice a week: Thursday at eight, Sunday at four. Right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, ninety-three point three FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music; uh, we like to talk about it a little bit too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means.
7: Joe Mad Pad.
14: Joe Mad,
7: Pad. Joe
14: Mad Pad. Tune in every Saturday night at seven, and again on Tuesdays at eight for Philly Joe Remarkables Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP, Eastport, Maine. on your fm
2: dial man take this crazy
7: pad man it's a mad pad
0: you're listening to wshdlp esport broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of shed high school Tune in Mondays, 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m. And if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by
4: Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor. No schmutz from the night before. Just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer. Some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz. But by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag, it's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHD LP Eastport.